0: Hello and welcome to Wild Women, the Wild Swimming Podcast. I'm Laura MacDonald. It's so lovely to be back in your ears. I sort of accidentally took a summer holiday from the podcast due to a mixture of toddler-induced lack of time, summer activities and then just a general procrastination spell. However, I'm back at it and excited to speak to a new set of Wild swimmers over the next few months. I hope you all enjoyed a summer of swimming without having to climb into a duvet afterwards. But if you're anything like me, you'll be so excited for the water temperatures to drop, the duck mites to get to hell and the beaches to quiet down again now that the tourists have toddled off somewhere cosy. I've got a little bonus episode for you today to keep you busy while I am planning season two. This episode was originally available through the Wild Women Patreon, which you can support for a teeny £3 a month. All proceeds will be put towards the podcast covering its costs, which it currently does not do. This is actually a surprisingly expensive hobby, so if you enjoy my work and are able to contribute, then please get on it. If you love the work but can't contribute, then that's absolutely fine. But if you could subscribe in your podcast app of choice leave a comment or review and tell everyone you know about wild women in their actual ears, then that is also a massive help and my gratitude will be real and heartfelt. So to our bonus episode. I spoke to Owen Wells originally for the Ilkley Clean River Group episode. And if you want to hear more about their work and the problems with river pollution in the UK, then please go back and listen to that episode once you're done here. Owen and I chatted for an absolute age about his lifelong passion for swimming, his relationship to the river in Ilkley, and his take on their campaign from a swimmer's perspective. He also told me many charming anecdotes about his many years of swimming outdoors, but I only had time to include a very short snippet in the original episode. So here, for you, is the chat in full. I hope you are ready. I had such a giggle. Just to make those of you with sensitive ears aware, there are a couple of sweary moments. Nothing that I would class as offensive, but then, offence is relative. Oh, and just to be clear, in the answer to my first question, Owen is very definitely a serious swimmer.
1: I was born and bred by the sea, and there were, of course, people who swam every single day of the year. I remember one 80-year-old lady who used to cycle down to the beach on a dreadful sit-up-and-beg bicycle in a voluminous uh, bathing robe, and she would swim a stately breaststroke, and she would come out, and she would cycle home to change. But the sea is always warmer than rivers. I simply cannot remember a time when I could not swim. I have no recollection as a child of ever having had a swimming lesson. I assume my parents must have showed me, you know, held me underneath and did a president yeah. or whatever. But we lived by the seaside and we swam, and that was it. My father was obsessed all his life. He wanted to live by the seaside and he could not go to the sea without wanting to get in. And I remember the most embarrassing incident of my childhood. It did left me deeply scarred. We, I think I was 10 at the time and we were visiting my mother's cousin on the North Norfolk coast and we hadn't been intending to go for a swim and it was August back holiday and we walked out to Head Island. Anyone who knows North Norfolk coast, Head Island is incredibly popular now. But then in about 1952 or three, there wasn't a soul on the beach, not a single solitary soul. And my father twice. As a 10-year-old, I couldn't imagine anything worse. He stripped off and ran naked into the sea. And I was mortified. I thought it was the most dreadful thing ever. I'm now much older than my father was then. And since then, I have been on Skolt Head Island and wasn't with My wife and we weren't expecting to swim, but she stripped off and I stripped off and we went in. But it wasn't an August bank holiday. I have the greatest sympathy sympathy for my father, he did absolutely the most sensible thing he could. The sea was there, and I have to say that um, swimming trunks are a difficult issue, of course, because when I first went swimming immediately after the war, we had hand knitted trunks. Hand-knitted trunks worked jolly well until you went in the water. But when you came out, they were sort of elongated and dragging around your knees. No one nowadays can imagine a child being equipped with hand-knitted swimwear. (laughs) And the the other thing, of course, you had was your mother constructed two towels and sewed them together and made it. Anyway, there you are. Childhood of swimming. I used to be one of those who did a very slow and inelegant breaststroke. But when my wife was dying, all sorts of people came to the house. I didn't know who half of them were, Frank. But one of them, turned out, was coming uh, to see me, which uh, because I was labelled as a carer. I thought that was a load of bullshit. I was not a carer. I was doing no more for her than she would have done for me. Anyway... This person explained that she's coming from a carer's charity, and there were small grants available to carers on condition that you spent them on yourself. So I thought, well, why look at gift talks in the mouth? I've never, ever consciously had a swimming lesson in my life, so I decided I would like to have swimming lessons. I've always swum. I swum quite long distances, slowly. So the uh, the grant took a while to ke- come through and it was the march after my uh, wife's death that it came through and I booked up the swimming classes and on the first class, because I was really desperate to do a proper, efficient crawl, I couldn't do one length of the swimming pool doing the crawl. So I was determined, I had to have a goal, so I decided that not that August, that June rather, but the June following, I would do the Great North Swim. So that was my goal. And I have to say, in the June following, I I did a half a mile in the Windermere for the Great North Swim. And I raised about £5,000 for the hospice. And then, you know, once you've done a half mile, well, the next year I decided to do a bit more. So I did the mile. And I have to say, I came second in my age group which astonished me because I had been warned at the outset for the, the great big swims. Someone had told me, don't start at the front because people will be swimming over you to try, you know. And I, so I started near the back and I was having to swim over other people because they weren't going fast enough. Anyway, so I did the mile and various other members of the family did half miles or miles with me and we raised another £5,000 for Manor, Manor uh, Hospice. And I was thinking that this last year... I might perhaps have a go two miles. But the problem with two miles, it, it's time. A mile takes 40 minutes. Well, two miles is going to take an hour and a half. And it gets a bit boring after a while. You know, you go, bump, bump, bump. And I know people take things like, you know, waterproof earphones to keep themselves amused that strikes me as a bit stupid but uh, I did think I might have got two miles but of course it was cancelled and now I'm well out of practice because there's been no the Lido was closed all last year the swimming pool was closed all last year so I've done a bit of swimming in the river I doubt I could do a mile now but who knows we'll get back into it that's the importance of the river because no bugger can close it they can't say not allowed I've always swam out, out of doors, so, but I have to say it was more usually in the Ilkley Lido than anywhere else, or in the sea. Mm-hmm. But now I've really got into river swimming. You swim one way and you're really working hard and you're making a small amount of progress up the river. Then you turn around and go, zoom, it's like you <laughs> shot from a gun. I always thought I was totally inept at all physical activities, except swimming. When we were at Clacton, we used to swim up and round the pier and when the when the when uh, there was a strongish current and li- lilos and beach balls would come floating by beyond the la- uh, level, beyond the ends of the uh, breakwaters. And the local kids like me, we used to swim out and bring them back and keep them. <laughs> uh, so I've always swum. And 10 years later, I took to mountain walking, but that's another story. No, but... I don't know why swimming is so enjoyable. There's the weightlessness. There's the view. And there's. when I was young, it was the waves. I had to have waves. I mean, I've nearly drowned several times. Now I'm much more leery about waves than I used to be. But I used to think the more the waves, the better. You know, I I suppose, was that an adrenaline rush, perhaps? But interestingly... I've always swum on top of the water. It wasn't until about 10 years ago with my wife I went. We went to see friends of hers in Egypt and uh, we went to the Red Sea. And I put on a mask and a snorkel and I looked down and I was gobsmacked. I thought, all this time I've been on top. And there's that world beneath just beyond anything. Tell
0: me then about your relationship to the
1: river in Ilkley. I've swum periodically in the river in Ilkley for a long time but I had to say until lockdown not regularly every day swimming but I did not know until the clean river campaign started I did not know that they were discharging I say they I mean Yorkshire water were discharging raw untreated sewage into the river I'm now appalled. I have to say, fortunately, the place where I would normally swim is upstream of the Ilkley sewage works. And, and when we started campaigning, Yorkshire Water started, oh, they are very concerned, and they did things like saying, we'll no longer have a 20 millimeter grid to stop the untreated sewage, we'll put a six millimetre grid on. So of course the condoms and the sanitary towels will be stopped, but the, the shit would just go straight through as it always had done. But from the point, my point of view of swimming, the real peril I now know was the Attingham combined sewage outflows, because in storm conditions, they're pumping shit into the river. now. Your notion of a storm and my notion of a storm and Yorkshire Water's notion of a storm is somewhat different. I think if it's a storm, when the rain is coming down, hell for leather, and you can't go out. But in the last year, which we measured the whole year, Yorkshire Water recorded 177 storm events. Now, I know the weather in Yorkshire. Yorkshire is a wonderful place, but it's not known for marvellous weather. It's not like Devon or Cornwall, but we, we haven't had anywhere near 177 storms. So unfortunately, the difficulty with swimming in the river in Ilkley is sewage coming down. On the whole, the sewage is there when the river is in spate, and there's very few swimmers actually go in when the River is in spate because it's frankly jolly dangerous. So most of the time I've been swimming has been when the water level has been low and so uh, it hasn't been too polluted. But a very good surrogate marker for pollution is the turbidity of the water, the cloudiness. The cloudier the water is, the more likely there is to be untreated sewage in it. It's simple and straightforward. Uh, but it's lovely and clear today. I looked this morning when I took the dog for a walk, so it to really be nice swimming. And I have to say, I've never been ill uh, from swimming in the river. But people who swim downstream of Ilkley sewage works have been ill. It's beyond belief there is not a single river in this country into which raw sewage is not pumped. And we never knew. We saw all those blue flags for beaches, You know, when I was young, we knew in Clapton, where I grew up, where the sewage outfall was. And we believed then that, of course, salt water was antiseptic and would purify the sewage. You did see occasional lumps of stuff floating by. Now, we're utterly appalled by the idea that a town could pump its raw, untreated sewage straight into the sea. It can't. And now, 50, 60 years later, we've discovered Yorkshire water and every other bloody waterboard is doing exactly the same to our rivers. It's a scandal. Our last MP, our former MP, the excellent John Grogan, lovely, lovely man, doesn't matter which party you were in, he was a wonderful MP. He came up with this very cunning notion that we should locally apply for bathing water status to put pressure on the Yorkshire water to stop them shoving shit into the river. And now, it's a, a wonderful idea. Bathing water status does not tell you that the water is good for bathing. What bathing water status tells you is that it's an actual record of the fact that this is a place where people bathe. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the water quality. And what we were able to show in Ilkley was on on a summer Sunday, there were hundreds of people in the water. We could record that people were actively paddling and bathing in the river. That's what gave us bathing water status. But The knock-on effect is that that then forces the Environment Agency to start testing the water quality. We know that the water quality will fail. We know that it's straightforward. We've had our own tests done. But that then produces a huge pressure on Yorkshire water to clean up their act, and Yorkshire Water are saying, well, previously it was 30 years before they were going to do upgrades on the Oakley sewage works. They're talking about perhaps in 10 years' time they won't be discharging. Currently, they're planning to reduce the discharges by 20%. In other words, not from 177 per year, but somewhere down to 120%. 130 per year so that's a, that's a huge improvement isn't it but the whole thing about bathing water status is it was a device and because it was the government acknowledging this is something that happens it's not saying something should happen it was say this is a place where people bathe yeah it therefore produces an enormous pressure and we know that after we've had the success we've had locally, and it's down to two or three people, uh, John Grogan, the MP, Becky Mortby, who's a professor at uh, London University, uh, and uh, Rick Barterby is another, who's a very good uh, professor of environmental matters on water quality, and uh, Wharfdale naturalists, uh, Karen Shackleton, they, those people were the driving force. Perhaps by the time I'm 90, I shan't have to wonder about whether the to mine sewer outflows are are pumping out shit into the river. Sewage is a euphemism, isn't it? It's shit. That's what's coming into the river. Human shit. And... It's an absolute scandal. You wouldn't go and defecate on the bank of the river and think that was okay. So why should you think it's okay to not use your nice facilities at home and then have Yorkshire water flush the stuff straight into the river? The other thing is, um, the reason I'm swimming a lot more in the river is because of COVID and lockdown and so forth. I always used to get a season ticket for our lido, but I'm not sure I should bother now. There are two or three spots on the river which are idyllic. I mean... In the Lido, you sometimes get ducks landing past beside you, but you never see kingfishers flying overhead. There is a spot on the river just above Addingham where there's deep water. And we all know swimmers want deep water. You, know, you don't have to paddle, do you? There is a stretch that must be the size of an Olympic swimming pool. Where you've got, above the high weir, you've got the most wonderful deep stretch. The only problem is the field you get into it from the farm keeps bullocks, and they don't like my little dog. I've had to carry him into the river to save him from the bullet. I don't know about you, but I think that swimming in cold water is probably good for you. I must say, as I've got older, I swim much less in rough water than I ever would, but I swim in far colder water than I did as a child. I used you know, I wouldn't have dreamt of going swimming in April or May. And the idea of swimming all year round... But and, and I used to think that if you're swimming regularly all, the, all the year round, you must swim regularly to keep acclimatised. I don't think I even believe that anymore. And I always used to think, well, I need a, a wetsuit, but I realised a full wetsuit is lousy for cold water swimming because a full wetsuit, I think it's because of the buoyancy or whatever, uh, with a full wetsuit, if you're doing the crawl you go about 10% faster than you would without a wetsuit because of the buoyancy, but you can't do the breaststroke properly. And at this time of year, all outdoor swimmers that I know do the breaststroke because you don't want to shove your face in the water because it's cold. So um, I now just use a shorty wetsuit or sometimes not at all. So I'm much, much more tolerant of the cold. And I do think the greatest bit of kit yet invented, don't advertise really, but there are other brands, is the dry robe. I think when you get out of the water and shop one of those, and I usually change here and drive down, and driving back, I've put on the dry robe, I've taken everything else off, and it feels vaguely wicked to drive back through the town, stark naked except for a dry robe, in the terror that you might have a traffic accident and have to get out and people would realise that under the dry robe, you have no trunks on at all. It gives a But <laughs> well, There you are. Fabulous. And, and the other thing which is really good, the other bit of kit, which I think you, is essential, much more than the wetsuit, the through, are gloves and socks. Gloves and socks are transformed. Yeah. And a flask, A, a flask. I think, I've come to the conclusion, it's dreadful because it's processed food. Cup of soups are the best thing in a flask for warming you up when you get out of the water. And um, the thing I think it's really important to tell people, never, ever jump in. When the water's cold, walk in. Don't jump in. The jumping in even in a wetsuit, can be really quite dangerous because of the shock and you stop breathing and you drown. You know, yeah. Walk in. Of course, when I was young, we never did that. We just, just went down the end of a breakwater and jumped off. So why do I, I swim? Because my dad always swum. Because I've always swum. Because yeah. that's what water is for. There's only one problem where I live in Ilkley. It has one singular disadvantage. You can't live anywhere that's further from the sea. I have to say I really do like swimming in the sea more than deals. I, I go down to my uh, sister in law's house in Deal in Kent and I swim there in the sea, and that's wonderful. But by God, there's a bloody current there. Yeah. I can swim as hard and fast as I can, and I stay stationary to the beach at Deal, because it's like a four or five knot current coming round from the channel to the North Sea, or vice versa. The sea is for swimming in. But I am saddened when I go to the seaside that there are often quite large numbers of people, especially young people, paddling and playing in the waves, and very few actually swimming. It's the safety culture that puts people off. We had notices put up by Bradford based on the local reservoir notices urging people not to swim in the River Wharf, saying that the temperature varied, very little summer and winter, was never above 12 degrees. This was complete bullshit because in rivers the temperature varies greatly good summer and winter, and I measured... The temperature for three months in the summer and it never went below 17 degrees but even still we've got at the Yorkshire water reservoirs we've got these notices where it is true that the temperature is much more constant danger you know strong currents and danger of the temperature the truth is there are plenty of places on every reservoir where you can walk into the water quite safely where the temperature is perfectly reasonable for an experienced outdoor swimmer I think we've got to have a much more robust notion of risk. There was a very important uh, court case between the Hampstead Heath swimmers and the City of London. The City of London wanted to ban swimming in the Hampstead Heath ponds when there was no lifeguard on duty. And the um, High Court held... Sorry, that's my... The High Court held basically that when a responsible, if a responsible adult wishes to take risks, then the liability is entirely on that individual and not on the owner of the water. And there was a long case. uh, One of the judges saying, we don't want a grey uniformed culture, etc. The idea that adults should be able to take risks. And it's not up to external bodies like Bradford Council or the City of London to tell people, to tell responsible adults, you can't do this, it's for your own good. We Mm -hmm. are competent to decide. Clearly with children, the issues are different. And with children, parents should be taking responsibility. But if I want to swim in dangerous circumstances, That's up to me, frankly. We had a local angler when we were campaigning for bathing water status, stating that the River Wharf was one of the most dangerous places to swim anywhere. He deduced this on the back that over 10 years there had been, I think, four, I can't remember, perhaps five instances of children having to be rescued. So I got out the comparative mortality figures for the Hampstead Heath Ponds, for the River Chirwell in Oxford, the River Cam at Cambridge, and the Sea at Scarborough. And in all those places, there had been between two and five fatalities over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So the River Wharf, by any comparison, was really exceptionally safe. But we had someone saying, this is really, really dangerous. And, of course, if you go into the River Wharf when it's in spate, I mean, it goes up and down by incredibly. Yes, it would be dangerous, but nobody would ever do it. Um, and when the river is low, it's it's the safest place I've ever swum. Yeah. And I've swum all over the world. I've swum in New Zealand. The sea at Kaikoura was the coldest sea I've ever swum in. It was dreadful. And then someone... I asked at the tourist office why no one's swimming. They said because this is a place you come to watch whales because it's so deep and they come in so close. I've swum in China. That's wonderful. We I've swum in the uh, in Hohai, one of the lakes in this Beijing, uh, where of course swimming is forbidden, but there's plenty of people doing it. Most so things are forbidden somewhere or other, and you get the most extraordinary interest as a, as a a along those a European swimming you know, so me and my wife swimming in the lake at Haute High caused a, a, a sensation and, uh, and I swam everywhere uh, sorry I'm losing my, losing my thread but you know, when there's water you ought to swim in it, it's quite simple straightforward. In so, the 1930s there were the mass trespasses on Kinder Scout when, which established um, which brought about the right for walkers to walk in the uplands. That people, ramblers in their hundreds, confronted gamekeepers on the Kinder Scout to walk on the peak in the Peak District. I think personally, we need a similar sort of campaign, a mass trespass in Fuston Reservoir to establish that Yorkshire Water can't stop us from swimming. There is some swimming in one Yorkshire water reservoir at Chella, but I think think we need to be more robust. Well, tell you what, Owen,
0: you organise it, I'll come down and swim (laughs) with you.
1: My vision of swimming in Scotland is, of course, largely uh, influenced by that wonderful film of the local hero and those wonderful beaches. And shortly before my wife died, we went on the only coach tour we've ever been on an organised tour of Orkney and Shetland. And I saw beaches just like those beaches in Local Hero. And I thought, why the hell haven't I brought my trunks? I could live here on the beach. I could go yeah. swimming. I mean, I have well, been swimming in the far north. I know it's cold. Yeah, That's
0: not that bad. My, uh, my family are actually from the Western Isles. This will yes. give, you, give you a peek of the jealousy yes. because um, my um, grandmother... Um, where i spent most of my my childhood growing up um i lived less than a mile from what's called the trevor the 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 big beach down south east which runs the entire length of the island near enough um west facing white sand complete it looks like the caribbean in a photograph and it's always just you on the beach by the time when you get there you know the Maybe somebody a couple of miles down the road walking their dog. And that's where I learned to swim. But do you know, when there's really
1: clear water, we have a mental image that really clear water means warm water. I (laughs) knew. I was sailing. (laughs) I used to do a lot of sailing and we were sailing around Channel Islands and we were moored in a bay in Alderney. And the water was beautifully clear. And when I got up, I thought I told everyone else, as the rest of the people, two of my two or three friends, I'm going for a swim. And the water was so clear and transparent, and I dived over and it was so bloody cold that I was immediately seized with cramp and couldn't move. And it was all I could do to just doggy paddle back to the boat to climb on. But there because I've got that very strong mental association, clear water, Mediterranean, Caribbean, it must be warm. And you forget it can be absolutely bloody icy cold.
0: Yeah, that's one thing that learning to swim in Scotland will do for you, is you get used to
1: everything being freezing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in East Anglia and we strongly believed, I'm not sure if it's true, but we really did believe that North Sea was warmer. On the sea on the Atlantic coast uh, because it's a comparatively small body of water and warms up. But we, we believed that the sea in Essex was warmer and better for swimming in than the sea on the west uh-huh. coast in Devon and Cornwall.
0: I don't know about down there because it's it's not my area at all you do have warmer summers than us so maybe that would help but certainly in scotland west coast swimming is a lot warmer than east coast swimming because because um you've got the gulf stream yes the water up the atlantic coast and the western isles is a lot warmer than i've got family in aberdeen and going swimming off the beach there there. (laughs) there was a few it was a couple of years ago um I had to go. I was on Barra for a funeral on the uh, Friday, yes, and I had to come back to the mainland for a wedding in Stonehaven on the Saturday. So, and I was I swam on both beaches on both yes. days, and the temperature difference was unbelievable. <laughs> I was like, I was Were just like, looking around. I was going, East coasters are hardcore. This is miserable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you recommend swimming on the Kincardine Coast? Because I look at the map and I think. That looks like a good place for swimming and it should be warm. I
0: I don't know about I've never been in off Kirkcubri Um myself I've got um a little bit further along down like mm. the Murray coast I've done a bit of swimming off Burra Head near Elgin. Um one of my best mates lives in Elgin so I've been yes. up there a few times and it's 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 got some nice swimming
1: actually but um good dolphin spotting as well so that's fun do you think that there's one aspect of swimming i think uh i grew up by the sea so i'm absolutely conscious of the tide if i go to a beach i've immediately noticed within five minutes whether the tides coming in or going out uh, you've got to know i remember a sad story of uh, two Austrian au pair girls in my wife's family when she was young who went to the sea at Brighton and they went for a swim and came back and they thought their clothes had been stolen because <laughs> they were nowhere on the beach because they had never swum anywhere where there was a tide. And in those days, the national assistance was much better than it is now. It provided them with enough money to buy clothes so they could get back to Oxford. Anyway, that's, by the way, one aspect of sea swimming that I am conscious of because I had, with my wife, we bought a house on the bay to bay the Somme. Much different in size from Morecambe Bay. And the tide comes in faster than you can run. And I am very conscious that people who don't swim in the seaside, if they haven't grown up at seaside, do not always appreciate just how dangerous in certain places fast incoming tides can be. A friend who saw a woman walking out on the Bay of the Somme, he was canoeing, and the tide was coming in, he canoed up as close as he could to her, and he shouted to her, Madame, courier, run, run for the shore now, she said, what? He said, just start running, run now, and he As the tide came in, he canoed behind her and she stopped to call her dog. And he said, don't bother about the dog, run for the shore. And in the end, the water got sufficiently deep that on his canoe, he came up behind her and she clasped on and climbed on. Because there Mm. are places where the sea comes in so fast that it is exceptionally dangerous. Morecambe Bay, we know from the poor Chinese cockle pickers what happened to them. And there are certain bays in East Anglia, I know, where... You really need to know what the local conditions are. There are places I've swum where I've always felt safe swimming because there are creeks and estuaries that I've walked out and I know where the sandbars are because I've been there at low tide. And Mm -hmm. I do think when it comes to sea swimming in places like that, you need a certain amount of sense. Sandbars will be cut off as the tide comes in. There's also the thing with very steeply sloping beaches, the issue of getting out when there are, yeah. the waves are high. I have been swimming, and in France, most beaches have lifeguards. I remember swimming at uh, Complage, I had to be helped out of the water by the lifeguard. They had to pull me out because the undertow was so strong. As I tried to stand, I was being dragged down and couldn't physically get out of the water without a nice 20-year-old lifeguard grabbing me and pulling me. So I'm much more leery now. And it's to do with the conformation of the beach, where you've got steep sloping beaches, as you have a deal where I swim a great deal, then waves are much more hazardous than on a nice more level beach where they're tremendous fun for surfing in on so that I think with swimming it requires a certain amount I wouldn't say common sense common sense is a terrible expression but basically if you've lived by the sea you have a certain innate well if you swim in the sea all the time you, you develop a certain innate knowledge of what's dangerous Uh, and the times I've nearly drowned has been really in rough sea I can remember as a 10 11 year old trying to get out of very rough water at Clacton and every time being pulled back and eventually as a kid I didn't worry because I knew I was going to come to the surface eventually waiting for a wave and surfing in and coming in and when I come in blood pouring from the front because I've been dragged down over the gravel so many times but so you've you've got to develop a certain now haven't you,
0: yeah
1: clean river campaign has been remarkably successful because it was so well organized but it's given the it's provided a template for other areas if you can establish by going out and doing counts of the number of people in the water in an inland areas you can apply for bathing water status And that won't make a damn bit of difference to the condition of the water immediately. But once you have established that in this lake, in this river, at this particular place, people are swimming, then if you get bathing water status, the pressure on the environment agency to test and the pressure then on the water company to stop discharging sewage is huge. We've had one or two advantages. We've had managed to get a very good citizen science project. I was pleased that, as a councillor, I was able to uh, to to vote for a grant for the water testing. So the water quality has been tested the whole length of the wharf, the river wharf, from Otterburn to the Ouse. So we can tell where the pollution is. It's not just sewage works. Uh, there's agricultural runoff and all the rest. But we've been uh, so that we now provided a template to show how you can establish breathing water status and how you can use citizen science to test water quality. The um, Environment Agency was testing the water quality in the wharf. They just weren't testing for fecal coliforms, what you get from <laughs> discharged sewage. Um, because it wasn't in the part of their their guidebook. They tested for nitrates and the like. But once you've got bathing water status, you've got a handle on improving water quality. Now, I want to see people swimming in rivers everywhere. It's, I was going to say it's cheap. Not, it's not, it's free. It's, it's a resource. And just as we want people to be, we know the wonderful effects of exercise for health. I'm 77 and I'm jolly healthy, and that's because I've been mountain walking and swimming forever. Um, my my wife, when she was diagnosed with cancer, was given a 5% chance of living for five years, but she lived for seven because she exercised and she walked. And exercise is the most important thing. So walking and swimming, not going to a bloody gym and doing things like that. that, that just, just... Oh. God, all that sweat and all that boredom in gyms—it's unimaginable. No, swimming and a fresh air, and you've got—we now know about things like we talk about um, greenwashing or green bathing. Is it that the idea of being out in green environments is positively good for you? Well, in swimming, you get all that. So, we want everyone to be able to swim. Every child should learn to swim. And then they should be encouraged to get into the bloody water and not simply paddle. So that's all.
0: Thank you, Owen. I really enjoyed listening to that conversation again. We had such a laugh. Remember, please, to share, review and subscribe to Wild Women. It really does help others to find the show. Please come and follow Wild Women Pod on Facebook and Instagram. You will get to see photos of our lovely guests so that you can put a face to the voice. And if you are so inclined, you can tag me in your photos and I will share them in my stories every Tuesday. I do this in an effort to cheer myself up between swims and bouts of housework. So please use the hashtag Wild Women and show me your post-swim grins and cake. Thanks, as always, to Mary St Mary of the Housecoat Project for allowing me to use the theme music links to their work can be found in the show notes. Until season two is ready, enjoy the chill.